You can make more money for sure on short-term rentals than you can possibly on long-term rentals, but that's not always the case because your expenses are way higher. You're going to pay a lot more in variable expenses, but even your fixed expenses. Insurance is a great example of one fixed expense that's going to be way more than it's going to be on just a long-term rental would be, for example. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Sean Moore. Sean is an expert vacation rental investor, and today we're going through so much of his knowledge in the vacation rental industry. First off, we talk about analyzing markets, what it takes to really take a deep dive on markets, how much can you lean on software tools to help you do that versus when do you need to take that process manually and really get into the numbers yourself, how he and his team approach that process. We also talk about creating a unique experience for your vacation renters and what that means for you in your vacation rental business. Not only creating that unique experience, but also how you can demonstrate to potential renters that you have a unique experience that they should be interested in. That's such a key part that we can often miss in the real estate space. It's not just having something unique, it's also convincing potential customers that we have something unique that they would be interested in. So we dig into that today. We also talk about red flags that he sees in vacation rental deals. We talk about how the rising interest rates, the high interest rate environment that we're in today has impacted the vacation rental space and how real estate investors are approaching that or changing their approach and what to think about in that process when you're looking at a deal with higher interest rates now than there were a couple of years ago. What does it take to really be successful? What do we need to think about that and keep on our minds in that process? So, so much knowledge today in the vacation rental space. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Sean Moore. Let's go. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to talk vacation rentals, but before we dive into your strategy and how you help people and everything about that. Do you mind telling us a bit about yourself, what you invest in and general background? Yeah. Awesome. Taylor, appreciate you having me. Really excited to be on the show and have a conversation about all things real estate, particularly the vacation rentals and kind of my background is I've been a full-time real estate investor for 23 years now. This is all I've really ever done out of college. I met a guy about six months into a job and uh, he was a real estate investor and he was making a lot more money than me. And back in my twenties, I thought, well, Maybe that's the maybe that's the road I should run down. So we really got into the game early, played the fix and flip game for quite some time, got into a lot of development deals back then, kind of rolled around a couple different asset classes, really started building a portfolio of long-term rentals, just single family long-term rentals when we started to figure we needed some long-term holds back in the day and ultimately started doing development deals on vacation properties, resort type properties. And I started to realize that was a pretty fun game and I wasn't holding them, I was developing them and then we were selling them to the builders and they would ultimately develop them out from there after we got the entitlements done. But for me, I, I was buying some vacation homes and during the last crash in 2000, I bought a vacation home in 2006 in the mountains in Utah and at that time, 
things started to really slide with real estate after a couple of years. You guys, everybody remembers 2008 through 10, 11. And this asset that we had, I was putting it on Craigslist and it was renting out really well while everybody was, everything was tanking around. And I lost value on the property for sure at the time from when I bought it at the top in 2006, but it was cash flowing really well. And that was kind of the light bulb for me back then that went off that maybe this is a viable asset class because it was still pretty fun to own. I was making money on it. We were still using it on some of the weekends when it wasn't available and kind of gave me this idea of, hey, this might be a really fun asset. And back in about 2011, we really started to take it serious and really diving into the short-term rental game before it was as popular as it is today. Right now, it's, it's very popular. The last couple of years, having a short-term rental was like having toilet paper during COVID. Everybody was making money, right? <laughs> and so there's a lot of people who think that that's what this asset's about, but we've been doing it before that, seen some of the ups and downs with it. There's pros and cons with short-term rentals for sure, but we sure have a lot of fun with them. And that's really what that back in 2006 and seeing how they performed in the last slide is really what really kind of piqued my interest as it, maybe this is a really viable asset class. And now that it's very mainstream as it is, we're having a lot of fun really building it out. And really, it's really been exciting to see the asset mature into a fairly mainstream asset class at this point. Absolutely. It's gotten significantly more popular in the recent years with even prior to COVID, we saw a big yeah. surge in, in Airbnbs yeah. and everything. And I'm a fan, I'm a user. I don't own one, but I use Airbnbs all the time. I love them. But, you know, there are weaknesses and everything. And I think folks want to dive in before really knowing what they're getting into. And I'd like to kick it off and, and talk about understanding whether a market that you're interested in is competitive. If you're going to have a really hard time renting out your short-term rental, or if you're getting into somewhere where it's a bit more of a blue ocean. So, analyzing markets and understanding if they're competitive, it's if it's going to be difficult to stand out. How do you handle that process? Yeah, it's a great question. And I can tell you that most markets now, they're not blue oceans like they used to be. They're, most of the <laughs> markets are very competitive and even not the mainstream vacation markets. Like the, because short-term rentals have become such a popular accommodation for travelers, investors ultimately are buying properties and turning them into short-term rentals. And so First, we back up and we look and we have to analyze markets. The first thing we're really looking at is that ratio between, you have to understand what is the revenue that can be made in a market? And there's a range, right? If I'm looking at analyzing a three bedroom property in any given market, I'm gonna figure out what that revenue range is. And let's say it's 30,000 to 50,000. And sometimes that's a big revenue range, right? But then I have to say, okay, what is the average acquisition cost for three bedrooms in that market? And then run an analysis, is there money to be made there? What does that ratio really look like? And that means, okay, is that market investable or not? I live out in the Western mountains here in the Intermountain West. They're tough to make any money because the acquisition costs are so high versus the revenue being made. A lot of people invest in the Southeast because the acquisition price is a little lower and the revenue is pretty high. And so we're looking at that ratio first, and then we have to look and say, okay, what does the competition look like, right? And it, it's not the having toilet paper during COVID anymore, frankly. I mean, that having a short-term rental the last few years, we saw demand just skyrocket and supply was lagging. And so there was a lot more demand than there was. Supply has caught up in most markets. And so what we're having to do is say, okay, what does it take to stand out in these markets? And so now it's more looking at it like a little business. And unlike some other real estate, you have to say, okay, who is my target audience? What is the customer experience that I'm trying to provide? How am I going to do that? Because that is what you're really selling. You're selling an experience, not selling a property. And that's where I think that a lot of people miss and miss 
when they try to compete in these crowded markets is they, you're not just selling a property anymore. Everybody's got great properties. There's a lot of great properties available. And so what can you do to sell an experience? Because when somebody travels, that's what we're looking for. We're, we're not looking for a property. We're looking for the property can be part of that experience, but we're looking for the best experience when we go visit an area. And so that's what we're look, really looking to do. And so when we analyze some of these crowded markets, if we don't have an idea of who our target audience is going to be and what that experience is that we're going to provide, we know that we're going to probably fall flat and it's going to be very difficult to compete in that market. Okay. So talking about analyzing, running reports, looking at the numbers, really digging into the, the figures, which is great, but that can be time intensive if you have to do all of those things manually or using software packages like AirDNA. There are a lot of other yeah. resources out there. How do you systematize that? Yeah, it's a process still, right? We have not figured out a plug and play system yet. We love AirDNA. We love, a, there's a number of different tools that we pull data from, but the problem with short-term rentals, for example, are when I was telling you before, there's that revenue range. We can pull all these ranges, but a software tool is going to say, okay, they're going to take very tangible data points like bedrooms, bathrooms, guest count. And then they're going to say, okay, based on this location within a certain circle, like we would analyze regular properties with comps and stuff, they're going to say, oh, you're going to make X amount. It's not as accurate as we'd like it to be with just that information. There are things like I talked about with a unique experience, a target audience that a software tool can't analyze. And that is what separates and puts you on that scale of, are you going to be the bottom side of the revenue range? Or are you going to be on the top side of the revenue range? Sometimes that's location. Like it's obvious in beach locations, right? If you're on the beach, you're probably going to make more money as far as revenue goes, right? If you're, if you're skiing, ski out, you're probably going to be toward the top side of the revenue model. It's going to cost you more to buy those, but we can... There are some things that those tools can do based on location, but what happens when I'm in a college town or I'm in a city and I'm, there's, not a, there's not a specific geographic location that a property is like certain properties are making way more money than other properties, right? And so, or just a regular mountain town that's not on the beach, that's not, doesn't have a ski hill. I have to be able to look at these properties and say, logically, I've got all this data. Now I've got to logically manually decide where am I going to land and that's where I feel like a lot of people miss on the underwriting is we want the easy button. We want to just put an address, bedroom, bathroom counts, and have these software tools spit out what they think our revenue is going to be. The problem is sometimes they miss and you don't know if you don't understand how to underwrite it, you're going to have a difficult time saying, hey, I can see why that one missed or maybe I just have to trust it. So do you look at it in terms of getting like an initial guess from these software tools and then digging into it deeper yep. or manually yep. to validate or refute? That's what we do. That's exactly what we do. We'll look at these software tools. We just copy and paste data out of them and we formulate what that revenue range looks like. We have an, a good understanding of the markets we're going into, what the profit drivers are, why people are coming, who the target audience is. And then we can we can manually pretty much adjust that pretty quickly in our own head, right? It's just, it's difficult for a software tool to be able to do what we're going to do, but it doesn't have to take a whole lot of extra time. And then we do put it in Rentalizer and AirDNA, SDR Insights, Revity, some of these tools that will spit out. And we want to see, we kind of want to cross-check ourselves and say, are we way different than what these tools are telling us? And if we are, why? And we better have, we better be able to justify it, or maybe it's a good way to make sure that we cross the T's and dotted the I's. So they're great tools to be able to use. Okay. 
So you talk about a unique experience, offering a unique experience to the renter, the client. So the way I see it, there are two parts of that equation. There's having the unique experience, and then there's selling the fact that you have a unique experience to offer to people who are browsing Airbnb or Verbo, one of these yes. sites. How do you think about expressing that unique experience so that people are interested in booking the property? Yes. I love you brought that up, Taylor, because it's a key factor, right? You it, This game of if you build it, they will come. You could have and curate this amazing, unique experience. And if nobody knows about it, nobody's coming, right? So you have to be able to articulate what you have to offer. So we have to look at the tools we have available, right? Just take Air, Airbnb, for example, as most one of the main OTAs. And we have to say, okay, what can I do to optimize my listing? And it's not about, you know, everybody wants to have these fancy algorithms and figure out the algorithm, how I optimize and get on the front page. What you have to optimize is being able to optimize what you're articulating so that the guest will book your property over all other properties, right? And that is being able to take your pictures and walk them through what that experience would look like. For example, I tell people, if your Airbnb listing looks like what you would have on Zillow to sell that property, you miss the mark. And that's what most Airbnb listings look like. They just have great pictures of the home. So what we typically are going to do, we're going to still have great pictures of the home, but we're going to have like when I have my, my, when I'm showing a picture of my couch, if it's a couch where somebody's going to read, I'll have reading glasses out, the, the book open, the throw pillows in the rugs out, or the throw blankets out. So it looks like somebody's actually reading a book there, right? I've got a cabin in the woods. People go read books. That's a picture I have in my listing. I'm not going to have that on Zillow. I have pictures of the area. I have, when we have a little, we have a property on a lake and we've got our boat out there. And we've got the we've got pictures of the boat with the picnic basket and everything else because that's what they're going to be doing at the property, right? We show them what they're going to be doing when we're do when we're taking the walkthrough of the property. So I kind of I, I say people are used to seeing this when you see cars being sold or boats being sold. They don't just show you pictures of a car. They don't show you pictures of the boat or anything else. They show you people using them and having fun on them and going and enjoying the lake. We do the same with our properties. And we add these lifestyle photos in there and it helps articulate what that experience is going to be like. Now, sometimes we use people in the photos. Sometimes we don't. Most of the time, we frankly don't. Because if you use people and you don't do it correctly, it'll actually hurt your listing. And so most of the time you can do this, but you have to, the biggest thing that you should ask yourself if you're a host is saying, if I was going to sell the property tomorrow, would I use my Airbnb pictures on Zillow to sell my property? If the answer is yes, you didn't do a very good job of articulating the experience. You probably did a great job of articulating the property, but not the experience. And so you have to go back and say, and then we even take it a step further in our listings where we show area photos. If I know that I'm 500 yards, I was just helping one of our members optimize their listing and he's 500 yards from the ski resort lodge right there. And we're like, okay, that he doesn't show that in his listing. That needs to be shown. And we show the concerts happening in the park that are right right outside of his door, basically, right? We show the mountain biking trails on the resort that they're, that, they're, that is going on. Another thing that we do, this is his property was, it's at a ski resort and he's got all winter pictures. And he say, has, said, my summer bookings are down. I said, well, yeah, your summer bookings are down. You're not articulating what it's going to be like to enjoy that property in the summertime. We need to have summer photos. We need to have mountain biking photos. We need to have hiking photos, all these things that horseback riding, all the things that people are going to do in the mountains in the summertime. And then in the wintertime, we have to articulate what that experience is going to be like. So it's a diff there's a lot more things that you have to do 
to articulate that experience, not just have a great experience. You ha- because that's where you're going to spend the majority of your time because that's where the majority of the money is being made, right? After you own the property, we have to get people to book this thing on a regular basis. Absolutely. Sales is really the core of any business. You can have a great product, but if you can't sell it to anybody, then who cares? Exactly. You got to be able to sell it to somebody. So you mentioned a little while back about having a boat at your cabin. And I think the implication was that people who rent the cabin can use the boat. When you say that, there's all kind of alarm bells of liability, potential liability that go off in my mind. How do you protect yourself there? How do you think about those liabilities? Or heck, maybe if you have a pool at a property, which are statistically incredibly dangerous, how do you handle that in your business? Yeah. One, we make sure that we have great insurance and we pay a lot for insurance, right? We have very specific short-term rental insurance. There's a couple of companies out there that have that, that covered that kind of stuff, right? We Electric bikes, electric scooters, those are hugely popular right now. They're dangerous though, right? If somebody uses them and they get hurt, you're liable. So yeah, when you have a short-term rental, you have to think about how, how the entities are set up for your asset protection, but also what insurance policies you have in place that are going to cover and that are built specifically for short-term rental operators. It's not just having homeowner's insurance anymore. You're running a business, you're a hospitality business, and you've got to have commercial coverage and you've got to have all these different coverages. And so when it comes to boats, to scooters, to pools, all those different things, we're going to pay a lot more in insurance, probably three to 10 times as much as you would for just a regular homeowner's policy a lot. That's another key point that I think, Taylor, that a lot of people are misled with short-term rentals is you can make more money for sure on short-term rentals than you can possibly on long-term rentals, but that's not always the case because your expenses are way higher right? You're going to pay a lot more in variable expenses, but even your fixed expenses. Insurance is a great example of one fixed expense that's going to be way more than it's going to be on just a long-term rental would be, for example. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder when you're looking at a, a property or an opportunity, I love talking about red flags in deals. They may or may not be total deal killers, but it's, hey, This is something you definitely need to pay attention to, a risk, something that you need to think about. So when you're looking at a deal, what are potential red flags? I know that's a broad question, but I'm sure you've got some. Yeah, no, yeah, it it is a little broad. We could probably talk a a lot about them on different things. And (laughs) and here's what I think about red flags, and I, I wonder if you agree with this, is the red flags are different depending on the buyer and the situation, right? And so typical red flags that I see in this game is people buying, just like going into markets that they don't really understand, that they don't have any interest in, and buying in a market that they're not really familiar with. In short-term rentals, sometimes we chase these returns, but when we just talked about creating an experience and being able to have to market this property, if you don't understand the market, you're going to fall flat, and all of a sudden, that deal that you thought was a home run ends up costing you a lot of money every single month, right? And so that's, I would say, the biggest red flag is people chasing specific returns in markets that they don't understand. It's very important in this game to understand the numbers, just like it is in any other real estate investment. That's that's no different. That's a very universal fact. And so, but in short-term rentals, a lot of times we think, well, I'm just going to make it up and I'm going to be, they make more money, so I'm going to be fine. You're not always going to be fine. The market's not always going to save you. The other thing that I would say in short-term rentals is a red flag is when I hear people saying, hey, listen, the deal's tight. And so I'm just going to manage this property myself because I'm a big believer in in full service property managers, because if you're not in the hospitality space, you're not used to dealing with people on a regular basis. 
You don't have the time for that. They can turn into second jobs really quickly. And so when you're starting to make property decisions and you're saying, okay, I, I need to do this myself to save money, that to me is a red flag as well. You're not ready for that deal, right? The, the deal should be able to support property management. It should be able to support the type of maintenance, all those different things. Just like any other deal, you've got to underwrite it to where you don't have to be involved and do it on a regular basis, unless that's what you do on a, on a, as, as a regular job, right? Because most people aren't cut out for that. Those are some that come to mind. And again, you can see that I feel like the red flags are more the person and the property goals of that person trying to stretch too far into outside of where they're really knowledgeable or where outside of their comfort zone really is. Okay. So another thing that I, I wonder about is we always, in this space, people talk about Airbnbs because that's kind of the term of art. Yeah. They were more or less the first mover in this space. There are a few other platforms, yeah. but they're really the market leader. And to me, it seems like a big risk to have a huge portion of your business based on one company that can decide to terminate your service at any time for any reason. Heck, there's a comedian, Tim Dillon, out there that was banned from using Airbnb because he talked about how bad one of the places he rented was. But, you know, they just banned him. He didn't do anything wrong, but they just banned him. And as a property owner, that to me seems like an enormous risk. How do you think about that? How would you mitigate that, that like platform risk in your business where you can be banned for no reason or any reason. Yeah. It's the number one thing that we want to do on the back end right when we start is we run down multiple roads at the same time. We don't ignore those OTAs. There's a lot of eyeballs on there, right? There's a lot of users that are trying to book properties. So our properties are on those OTAs, typically through our property managers. What we also do is we build our own sandbox. We build our own customer base. In any business, your most valuable asset is your customer base. And I don't know how many hosts think that those guests that come off of Airbnb are their customer base. They're not. Those are Airbnb's customers, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to build our own sandbox. If we don't like the rules, then we have to have our sandbox to play in. And so, but that takes time. It's like turning the flywheel. It's slow at first. And so for us, for example, we spend money every single day on Facebook ads, Instagram ads, and we get people to come to our website. We get, we start to generate, we have to, we've got all kinds of top of mind campaigns, indoctrination campaigns based around just like you would run any other business and then ultimately get our own direct bookings. It usually takes us though, about a year to a year and a half, 12 to 18 months before we have a sustainable, large enough customer base to be, to have the option to get off of those OTAs or not on those OTAs. COVID was a great example of this. We've been doing this for a long time. And so when COVID hit, Airbnb, Verbo, they shut everybody down. They just shut down and said, hey, we're not booking anymore. And not only can you not book, anybody that has a booking, they're forcing hosts to refund all the money. And so people were panicking, right? Because they're like, I have a strict cancellation policy. Most of these hosts spend the money before they even before the booking happens because it's in their bank account. And so these OTAs forced refunds on all future bookings and canceled, nobody could book. For us, we had a customer base, right? So we went out, we emailed our customers on our properties and said, hey, listen, we're open for business. If you need a staycation, we're in areas that are still open, you're welcome to come. Our properties booked almost immediately because the demand at that time was through the roof. People were like, I wanna get away from the city and I wanna go to these places, right? We, we said, we have internet, we're open, there's not restrictions, come visit us. And so, we booked out immediately because we had our own customer base. And so we weren't at the mercy of 
everybody else panicking, right? We had tons of people calling us saying, hey, I need to do this. The problem is you can't turn that on overnight. You have to build that from the beginning. So that should be part of your business plan because to your point, Taylor, it is very risky if your entire business revolves around somebody else's platform. And so don't, not that you don't want to ignore those platforms. You can run down multiple roads at the same time, but when one happens, it's like what I tell people when you have multiple streams of income. It's why we invest in properties, right? We've been, I've been financially free for decades. I still work because we do what we, we have jobs that we love, right? I, I help people do this now, but I have enough properties creating passive income that I have the option. If everything's shut down, my properties are still paying my bills. It's the same thing as having your own customer base. And it's really important. And very few short-term rental operators are doing it. And they rely strictly on those big OTAs. And you're exactly right. It is very risky. Yeah. It's just something you have to do is de-risk yourself yeah. in any way that you can. So that sounds like a great option. So before we get on to the, the end of the show, we no longer find ourselves in a free money world, right? Interest rates are much higher now than they were a year ago, two years ago, and they might be here to stay. Yeah. And that's caused a lot of businesses to reevaluate or do things a little bit differently now than they were able to for a couple of years. What changes have you seen as a result of interest rate increases in the vacation rental? Yeah. Space? So as far as the consumer, we haven't seen demand go down. In fact, demand in the first quarter of 2023 was up even more than projected. And so year over year was up almost 11% overall demand. So as far as the actual consumer and the usage and the demand for short-term rental stays, we haven't seen any hiccups there at all. In fact, it's performing better than any other, than even the experts predicted. As an investor, it obviously makes the underwriting different, right? Underwriting is tougher, right? So it tightens up that the investability of certain markets, it tightens up the cash flow in certain areas. And so we are seeing that there are certain areas, there are certain properties that frankly just don't underwrite. And that's normal, right? Anybody's been in, in the game for any amount of time, even during the golden years, right? The heyday when everybody seemed to be making money, there were still areas and properties that didn't underwrite. Now though, with rates as high as they are, we have, and prices still high, right? Prices really haven't come down. We haven't seen prices coming down in most of these areas because inventory is still super low. And so because we don't have more inventory really hitting the market and, and interest rates going up, we have to be aware of that as an investor because it's going to infect, affect the underwriting. I was just in the middle of a 1031 and we actually today missed the deadline to identify wow. a property, which is painful, right? And so, but it was because the markets, we were, we've been trying to find properties, inventory is super low, rates are up, and we're just not, we weren't finding the properties that we were looking for that underwrote the way we needed them to underwrite. And so we ended up taking, we're going to take that hit because we didn't identify within our 45 days. So you have to be a little more patient. Those are big changes that we're having to see in this market. Patience is the name of the game, a little more patient than you used to be. Yeah. And yeah, I understand the having the 1031 fall through because you'd much more regret doing a bad deal Absolutely. that you were you forced yourself into than paying a capital gain bill, yep. even though that stinks, but you know, that's what it is. Awesome. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. 
Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com. Scroll down to the Stessa logo and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Sean, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Ready. Let's do it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So the best investment was probably my very first house. And the reason for that is, is because I saw the power of real estate. It really opened my eyes to the power of leverage the power of appreciation, the power of tax, even at that time, just being able to write off my interest. And, and so that first house really got me thinking about what else can we do with this? And so for me, it wasn't necessarily going into be an investment, but it ultimately spurred that, hey, listen, I'm a real estate guy, right? I want to be in the real estate game at that stage. I love it. And there's some great advantages for your primary residence from a tax yeah. perspective, and you get pretty awesome mortgage rates as well. Great. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? My worst investment was when I was doing a little bit of development, I invested in a golf course and knew nothing about golf courses, had no idea how to underwrite them and thought, hey, this is going to be a great deal. Just got excited about it. And the it turned into be a really bad investment, but it but that was my fault, right? Uh, like I was saying before, some of the red flags, I invested in something I had no clue on. I didn't understand. I was writing a big check, trusting somebody else's analysis and underwriting. And because I didn't understand how to underwrite them, I didn't understand what I was getting into and ended up being a really bad investment. But it was a really good lesson for me early on to say, okay, listen, I'm not going to, it could be the best deal in the world if I don't understand it and it's not in my wheelhouse, I don't do it anymore. And so it was a good lesson, but it was a, a pretty bad, an expensive lesson. Let's put it that way. That can be tough. So, but on the flip side of that, at one point in your past life, you found yourself on the other side of a deal that ended up being great. What I mean is you were stepping outside of your comfort zone, investing in a deal that you didn't understand in the sense that you hadn't done it before. It's the first one, right? We all have right. our first we all have deal. Yeah. Right. We have to do that. So how would you mitigate that? I don't know what I'm doing aspect of the deal. If we're getting started again for the first time. Well, and I don't know if this disqualifies my answer because you said education. I'm a huge believer of mentors, right? I, mm -hmm. the way I mitigate, if I'm getting into a deal, I really do a lot of due diligence on the mentors and the partners that I find. And when I go into something brand new, I don't really try to figure anything out on my own at this stage in the game. I've found out how expensive that can be throughout the years. And so now I've really, I pay a lot for really great mentors, but I spend a lot of time doing my due diligence to make sure those mentors have the experience and they're doing what I'm trying to do. And so for me, that's how I mitigate my risk at this stage in the game. Makes sense. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? 
Yeah. So it kind of goes back. I've got a motto that I say all the time. It's like, pick one thing you can do today, start building that life you don't want to take a vacation from. And that comes from the lesson of take a step forward every single day toward that life that you really want to build. Make sure that there's not a day that goes by that you don't take at least one small step forward and toward those goals that you're trying to do. And I just realized that a lot of times, the older I got, the, the lesson I learned was we really overestimate what we can do in about that 30-day mark, but we really underestimate what can happen in a year or two or five. And so by just taking small steps forward, we can make a lot of things happen versus just feeling like we have to make these big strides every single day. Absolutely. Well, I love all of that. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, just go check out vodacy.com. It's V-O-D-Y-S-E-Y.com. We've got our books on there, some trainings on there and everything we're doing as far as social and everything else, you'll find it at vodacy.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. And to everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and join us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.